0: Good morning, Woo. really appreciated what Pastor Tim said to us, uh, the words, we are witnesses to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are witnesses to the power of, of the Holy Spirit, not over there, but in here. In our own lives. And it's important to remember that when we witness something like the massacre that took place in Las Vegas, it reminds us only, in a, actually, in a modest way what the Bible tells us from cover to cover in something that we know deep within us, and that is the nature of sin, the nature of a broken world. And it's, it's horrors. It's not lost on me that at this time last week there were some 58 people and over 500 getting ready to make their way to that stadium for a day of joy and enjoyment. And we say, well, where is God? It's odd to me that we ask that question only in the face of the mystery of evil and not in the constant day-to-day flow of His grace and opportunity. But you see this is an unchanged continuum of grace and tragedy, grace and tragedy without Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Because then the conquest of sin becomes a personal reality. The change of a selfish heart and the trajectory of a life wasted in selfishness. I don't know how many Christians Paddington may have come across or known as friends or how many times he may have heard the gospel, but he rejected it every time in selfishness and self-pursuit. And then out of a false justification of righteousness, he acted out in violence and frustration, maybe because the world wasn't the world of his making. And people are wounded and hurt. But I don't want us to miss this very important reality that each and every day we make selfish decisions, we put ourselves first, we make those same kinds of decisions. And there are ramifications. We hurt those around us. They seem modest by comparison. Our world says it doesn't matter because you're the most important thing. But it's the same continuum, it's the same thread of life unless Jesus Christ interrupts that unbroken continuum. And the power of the Holy Spirit is allowed to exercise the gracious and beneficial will of Jesus Christ in our hearts that we might be like Christ and that's what Paul is urging us to do when we're frustrated and discouraged and we feel like the world is out of control there's one person that the Lord wants to exercise control in and that's you he wants you to be a Christ-like difference and example He wants you to conquer the selfish impulses that are driving this world and make a difference in your world. There is nothing more real than that. We are an army in Christ, but we're just broken individuals without the Holy Spirit's power and the exercise of Jesus Christ in our lives, one with another and as a cohort when we are His church, empowered by His Spirit. Now, I wish I had that tape so I could say that next hour because I hadn't planned to say that, but let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Last night, I heard these words, we know how to do it, but knowing how to do it and doing it are two different things. That was Coach Lincoln Riley on coming back from a stunning loss to the Iowa State team that was a 31-point underdog to Oklahoma. I didn't watch the game. I listened to it on the radio as I was coming down from Heartland and I didn't actually listen to the game. I listened to ESPN radio where they kept giving updates on the progress of of the game and Oklahoma was a 31 point favorite to beat Iowa State in their own house. A home game number three in the nation. And they were stunned. And the amazing thing was that the quarterback of Iowa State had only taken two official snaps in his collegiate life because he was the backup quarterback. So Coach Lincoln Riley, which I saw the later in the evening on the news, he said, uh, We know how to do it, but knowing how to do it and doing it are two different things. That's good advice, but it's hard to do. That's what Paul tells us to do, because in the Spirit is the power to live out the Christian life. And without the Holy Spirit the Christian life is just good advice. We know how to do it, but knowing how to do it and doing it are two different things. Be filled with the Spirit. I want us to look at verses 19 through 21. I put them on the screen behind me addressing is a, a participle and singing and making melody and giving thanks and submitting are all participles. A couple of weeks ago I mentioned that this is the grammatical way of saying that everything in verses 19 through 21 is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Everything that's described in these three verses is the work of and the fruit of, and the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to miss that. But I want you to see something that is even more important, and that is uh, lightly colored green. To the Lord with your heart. Do you see that in verse 19? To the Lord with your heart. And then in verse 20, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to Himself. It's to elevate and make prominent in our lives Jesus Christ. It's to elevate Him. To remind us of His truths, to school us in His discipleship. Everything begins with Jesus Christ in our lives. God's redemption, His plan for our lives, the power of His work in our lives is all in Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts, there are no extras that enhance Jesus Christ in our lives. Years ago when I first came to grace, I preached a sermon on this very point. There is no supplement to Jesus Christ. Supplements just get in the way of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit sets our minds and hearts on, Holy, on Jesus Christ. So when you turn to Jesus Christ, When you cry out in dependence and need, when you say, Jesus, I need you, I'm messing this up. I didn't handle that well. I botched that. When you turn to him and say, Lord, I need your help. I want to do it your way, not my way. I'm not a good captain of my ship. The Holy Spirit enables that in our lives. When what we see here in verses 19, 20, and 21 is the picture of a Christian filled with the Spirit. A person of music, a person of gratitude, and a person of humility. Mark those three things. Music, gratitude, and humility. That's what's being described in verse 19, 20, and 21. That's the experience of Jesus. He puts a melody in your heart. He makes you grateful because he gives you eyes to see how much more you are in Christ and how it doesn't depend on your circumstances or your world. And most of all, it reflects our dependence on him, our humility. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. That's what we're saying when we turn to Jesus Christ. As I said, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Last uh, two weeks ago, I shared a little story about Corey Tinboom. I want to repeat it to remind you. I thought it was such a clear example. She said, "I have a glove here in my hand. The glove cannot do anything by itself, but when my hand is in it, it can do many things true, it is not the glove, but my hand in the glove that acts. We are gloves. It is the Holy Spirit in us who is the hand, who does the job to have us make room for the hand so that every finger is filled. You see, whatever controls your heart will also control what you say and do today. And if Jesus Controls your heart. That will control what you say and do today. And if He controls what you say and do today, there'll be a music, a melody in your heart. There'll be a gratitude, a thanksgiving in your heart. And there will be a humility in your heart because you'll recognize that He is Lord. So we need to be filled with the Spirit who inspires Christ-likeness. I was wondering this week if the order of these verses are the order of our experience. In other words, when you ask to be filled, when you surrender your will, your life, your words, your thoughts to the Lord, do you begin singing out loud? do you look like a Broadway star? I mean, that kind of, I played with that in my mind and I thought that would be pretty strange, wouldn't it? If we talked like that, singing our, singing our dialogue to each other. But is that what happens? I have to confess, I seek the Spirit's feeling. I seek the Lord's control of my life time and again, many times a day. That's how real is the battle. Paul talks about it in terms of the flesh and spirit. I've talked with you about that before. It's it's not alien or foreign to the Christian life to be in a battle for whose control. And it requires repentance, which is a change of mind. And so I repent a lot every day. If you're not familiar with repentance, you've got to get on board because repentance is realizing that He is better than me. And this new life that is ours through his death and resurrection is the conquerage of sin. I just made that word up. I don't don't know if there is such a word as conquerage, but I kind of like it, don't you? Let's start and get involved in conquerage in Christ. But we need to be repenting. We need to be catching ourselves and saying, this this is the selfish version of me that doesn't need Jesus Christ. What I need is the new version of me that depends on Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know that that begins always in song. It always hasn't been my experience. It's it's like me starting to get going and I'm, you know, but do you know I don't think there's anything here in what Paul is saying except by the sequence in which he addresses it that isn't that it's saying it doesn't all start to happen at once. And if anything it's my experience that it begins with humility. It begins with me confessing his lordship. And then it moves to gratitude. Because when he's lord of my life I start to see things differently. And I get, get out of that selfish mode, and I start to see opportunity. I start to, to see people differently, and it's not just all about me or what went wrong or why is life so hard. All of a sudden, I, I, I have a bigger heart, you know, and I, there's, a, there's a gratitude going on, and I start to become thankful instead of bitter and stingy. And thinking of what I don't have, I start to appreciate what I do have. And then when I'm grateful, do you know what starts to come? Praise. A song. So I'm going to turn this around just in terms of the function, and I'll use my own life as a pattern here because that's the way it works. When I make Him Lord, I'm humbled. And when I'm humbled, I become grateful. And when I become grateful, a song begins to develop in my heart and my my expressions, the language I use, the countenance of my face and heart, my spirit changes. And there really is a melody that couldn't be found that begins to be heard in my speech and in my spirit. And uh, so I'm going to take these points in terms of verse 21, verse 20 and verse 19. What we think of ourselves is changed out of reverence for Christ. In other words, the acknowledgement that He's the Lord, that He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Messiah in Scripture from Old Testament to to New is the reign of Jesus Christ, his kingship, which is out of the Old Testament recognized as the anointed one, the Messiah. It takes humility to say, I need a Savior. And that's not what's fostered in our world. Humble people as opposed to selfish people and they both reside within the same person. And that's good theology, by the way. Saint and sinner, you know. Old person that Paul says you need to put off and the new version that Paul says we need to put on in that resurrection power, that's saying that the selfish indwells the same space or person with the saint. The sinner and the saint is part of our everyday reality. But humble people are grounded in the truth that they need others, not that they are not self-sufficient. Humble people realize, I didn't make it on my own. And they see that around them. And for Christians, nothing makes that more real than Jesus. Submission in our society is a a false teaching because in our society, submission is defined in ways that are very different from biblical submission. Submission in our society has to do with weakness and lowliness. It's obedience out of inferiority. Or lower status or a lack of will but in the Bible submission is powerful submission is an act of the will it is a choice you must understand this submission is an act of the will it is a decision to put others first and it is derived from love from a recognition of God's power in love, in grace, embodied in Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 21 it says we submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because that is the way Christ is. The greatest emblem which we celebrate this day and remember this day in the Lord's Supper, the greatest emblem of God's power is the cross. And lest we forget, it is a more evil symbol than any automatic weapon or gas chamber or guillotine. It was an instrument of violence and imperial Roman power and superiority. And it is on that cross that God displayed his love. And because he did, it's powerful to us. Because it is in that love that God touches our lives and teaches us that we are loved that there is no obstacle or barrier to God's love because he's removed it all in his own personal submission to the demands of justice and he sacrificed himself for us that's submission in Philippians the letter to Philippians Paul, in chapter 2, appeals to us in the opening verses. Verses 1, he says, if there's any love, any grace, any compassion. Then he goes right on in verse 2 and 3, he says, set the interests of others above yourself. Put them ahead of yourself. And what is the motive? What is the incentive for this what our world calls insanity I mean really do commercials encourage you to wait do they encourage you to not waste your money or do they encourage you to give it to someone else or put others before yourself the only time they talk like that is if they're trying to identify their brand with a major catastrophe in which they want to show they're compassionate because they know that will appeal to you and be persuasive. But the fact of the matter is is that our society says you're number one. Put yourself first. You deserve it. And yet the Bible says, no, take a back seat because that's the power of love, and that's the greatest power on earth. And we know it because it's the power that touched our hearts and saved our lives. And it is out of that that Paul motivates the Philippians when he says, have this mind in you which was also in Jesus Christ, who being equal with God, being in the very form and image of God, emptied himself, set it aside, set aside the advantage of his, his status, his rights. His rights and became what? Most of our translations say servant. But slave, because the slave was the lowest denominator in the hierarchy of importance. Slaves were less than human, less than citizens, less than freedmen. It was slaves who were crucified, And by assuming the form of a slave, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for me out of love. That is an act of the will. That is an act of his will to love you at his own sacrifice and expense. That's submission. Submission. In the Gospel of John, if you read it today, pay attention to how many times it says Jesus is the sent one, God is the one who sends him, and yet Jesus says things like, if you believe in me, you'd believe not in me, but in the one who sent me. I come not in my own name, but in the name of him who sent me. I seek not my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. I act not on my own accord or in my own will, but in his will. And do you know why he has authority and power? Because his whole life is in the service of the one who does have that authority and power. Grace and love are God's means of upsetting and being subversive to a world that feeds and thrives on the power of the ego and of the individual and the irony is that that kind of power has no place for true love, only selfish love, lustful love, not sacrificial love, not unconditional love, the love that we crave because we know that we don't merit it, but we desire it because it loves us for who we are with all of our warts and scars and flaws. That's the love that God shows us in the cross, and that calls for a submission to that kind of love and grace. That's why when we submit to one another, there is a gracious, redemptive intention. If you lose sight of that, then we become selfish, But if you realize that in setting others above ourselves, there can be a higher purpose and higher goal, and mainly it's because Jesus Christ begins to operate in us, and it changes the way we handle and deal with others. That is the work of grace and the gospel in our lives. Jesus said, truly I say to you, a servant is greater than his master. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And the logic then is, if it's true that he is greater, then it's surely true that we are lesser. And it is out of that that we find real strength and power in his lordship. Well, what we think of ourselves is changed by His Lordship, and He exercises His Christ-like character and nature in us, and that is the work of the Spirit. Also, what we appreciate, excuse me, is inspired by the Spirit, what we appreciate around us. And that too, verse 20, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, And it says, always for everything, in all of Paul's writings. Think of them. 13 of 27 writings in our New Testament. Paul prays for his friends, and he never appeals for a change in their circumstances. Do you realize that it's not until we experience limitations and weaknesses. I came to Christ not out of my strength, but out of my weakness. And I'll bet you did too. And yet now that we're in Christ, we sometimes scoff at difficult circumstances or hardships, and we're not ready to give thanks for all in all. Because we think that it's In such things as that, that we don't see the grace and mercy of God, but it is very much in those limitations that God exercises His power and we experience His mercy and grace. We grow in Christ through difficulties, not through smooth times. And yet that's what our world is constantly offering us at a price, the price of our souls. Gratitude is born in humility. And weakness and hardship reminds us of our mortality and our creatureliness, that we aren't all that we think we are, even within our little ponds and puddles. Robert Emmons said, Humility, Emmons teaches out of the University of Davis. He's a recognized expert in the topic of gratitude. He's got a book out on the subject, E-M-M-O-N-S. I'd encourage you to pick it up and read it if you've never studied the subject of being thankful. He said humility is the source of gratitude. In other words, humility breeds a thankful heart. He says it's profoundly countercultural. It does not come easy, easily or naturally, particularly in a culture that values self-aggrandizement. It requires the sustained focus on others rather than self. Gratitude is counter-intuitive. It goes against our natural inclinations, which is selfishness, to take credit for the good that we encounter. Gratitude is the recognition that life owes me nothing, and all the good I have is a gift. In fact, the very word gratitude is the counterpart to the word grace. The cross teaches us grace. The hymn in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, teaches us grace, that he should disclose his glory and become like a slave. To reach us to give his life in sacrifice for us that teaches us grace humble people are grounded in the truth that they need others the gospel is grounded in the truth that we need jesus and you know what when we need jesus it causes us to appreciate others and that when we are filled with the holy spirit we not only, not only does uh, he inspire, the Spirit inspire Christ's likeness in what we think of ourselves, what we appreciate around us, but what we express to others. And that's really the praise. Moving from verse 21, humility to 20, gratitude into 19, praise. Singing and making melody to the, to the Lord with your heart. It's humility seeing God's love, gratitude, seeing God's grace, and joy issuing in praise from a music heard in the heaven of our hearts. G.K. Chesterton said, gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Jeffrey Burton Russell said, happiness doesn't always produce gratitude, but gratitude always produces happiness. God's involvement in our lives becomes obvious when we look back. The trick is to believe he's involved right now. But you see, we live in a culture that says, your highest good is to be happy. Is there there anyone here that doubts that our society is in pursuit of happiness. Do you know what the most popular method of seeking and pursuing happiness is? Buying things. Buying things. Do you know what that does to a culture? When your highest good in all of society is owning and controlling things. And your greatest pursuit in life is owning and controlling things. That that creates ingratitude. It creates a society of ingratitude. And it's passed on from generation to generation. Kids pick it up from their parents. And then when they have kids, their kids pick it up from them. And we get upset about circumstances when things don't go according to our plans because what are they interrupting but our pursuit of happiness. And yet what is being taught to us here is that happiness comes from another source outside of ourselves altogether. And it comes when we put Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. When we are filled with the Spirit when in humility we recognize his lordship and out of that humility comes the awareness that we aren't what we are except by his grace and goodness and it causes us to appreciate all kinds of good around us people in our lives people that the world would say are not worthy or a a poor waste of time all of a sudden we realize they're just like us I'm just like them because when I see myself from the inside out instead of the outside in I see myself as the Lord actually sees me and yet loves me as I am and that brings praise it brings thanksgiving because we realize as grateful people do that we are not self-sufficient and when it opens our eyes to the need of others especially because of our need from for the Lord it brings into our lives a grace and a joy and that is the source of happiness not everyone who's happy is grateful but everyone who's grateful is happy and I would attest this in my own life I used to be a depressed dark kid and God has changed me into a person I know and I've said this before, I look stern. Sometimes, we were doing interviews last uh, Wednesday, and uh, in when you do that Skyping kind of thing, you see a picture of yourself, even though you're looking through your computer screen at the person on the other end. And I kept trying to make my face look happy. <laughs> I, were, I, I, I tried not to make it too obvious, but I kept trying to how do i create this you know perpetual smile but i do have a great joy in my heart and i i hope and i believe that the environment of my life will give testimony to the work of the spirit in my life and yours too in your families with your spouses with your kids with your neighbors with your co-workers It all begins with the cross. It shows us that His humility in His sacrificial love is the worthiest and truest Lord of all the earthly Lord's calling for our allegiance. And that is the Lordship that we recognize in this bread, in this cup. And as we take the bread and the cup in a most sacramental way that is embodying us in the act with taking the bread and drinking the cup we are professing His Lordship his messiahship, his saviorship, because it is in this bread and this cup that is embodying the significance of the cross. And all of the meaning of the cross and who it was that died on that cross, the Lord of glory, all of that meaning is ratified in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is born witness through the spirit that indwells us when we receive Jesus Christ when we call him Lord he is preeminent when Jesus Christ is preeminent and so it was on the night Jesus was betrayed he took bread he blessed the bread and he said this body This bread.